ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Now we all know sleep's important. It makes you think better, function better, regulate your emotional world better. It helps you remember better and it helps you to learn better. However, making sure your teenager gets enough sleep, oh, that can be a huge battle, especially when you're competing with the likes of TikTok and gaming and messaging their friends. I'm Baggy Den, and in case you missed this parental as anything, I'm bringing it to you again because sleep deprivation can have a huge impact on your teen. So... How can you help your kids develop good bedtime habits and sleep for longer? And just how much is tech to blame? Dr Chris Seaton spends his days helping teenagers get more shut-eye is a paediatric adolescent sleep specialist. It's not your imagination, Maggie. We measure sleep deprivation in Australian teenagers and the rate of chronic sleep deprivation. So what we mean is kids who are tired every weekday. They're chronically sleep deprived. They're in a, a fugue state. They've got social jet lag. 15 years ago, 30% of Australian teenagers were chronically sleep deprived. The current figure is 70%. So essentially oh. two in three. So it's a big problem that's growing bigger. Oh, that's frightening. Okay, so let's be honest, our global digital world is very different and possibly more scary and uncertain. So besides stress and anxiety, why are these numbers so much higher? You know, the number one reason for the increase in sleep deprivation, I think, is digital technology, screens late at night. And, you know, this stuff is so much fun. It is so engaging. It's so addictive. And in contrast, sleep is, to many teenagers, sleep is boring. It's undervalued. And to some extent, there is this elitism of sleeplessness amongst young people. They wear it as a badge of courage. And And, you know, some of our politicians are like that, you know, bragging about their need for very little sleep. So it's a real misperception, really is undervalued. You know, sleep is extraordinarily precious. It's a great mood enhancer. It's a great learning enhancer. It enhances resilience in teenagers at times of stress. So it does a lot of good stuff. But selling it to teenagers is a tough gig. (laughs) Exactly, and um, that's because they know everything. Um, Chronic (laughs) poor sleep can impact a teen's ability, right, to access their yet underdeveloped executive brain. So that means even more poor impulsive choices. So, Chris, tell me about the teenager that you treated who was so terribly sleep-deprived he acted out in a big way at school. He was extremely sleep-deprived. He wasn't learning well. His moods were low, poor coping with stress. One of his teachers was giving him a hard time in the classroom saying, you're lazy, um, you're not performing. And, you know, in this haze of sleep deprivation, teenagers do risky things, particularly boys, because their executive brain's not well developed, as you said, 
And also, when you're sleep deprived, your immature executive brain not only is underdeveloped, but it goes to sleep. And your emotional risky brain, your limbic system, arcs up. We call this all petrol and no brakes. And kids will do crazy bad things that they will then be remorseful for. And this boy, in reaction to being hassled by his teacher in a haze of sleep deprivation, yeah, he put a rag down the uh, petrol spout of one of his teacher's cars into the petrol tank and then lit the rag. And, you know, this was a kid who otherwise was, you'd say, gee, what a terrible, terrible boy. But he's actually a good kid. He was just severely sleep deprived. And the torching of his teacher's car, sadly, was the trigger for him to come and see me. It's one of those things that when we want to punish an adolescent for making a poor choice, what they actually probably need is some more support to build the skills around coping and sleep is a big one in that. That's exactly right. Coping, resilience, you know, there's good research now, as you you probably know, Maggie, that shows that if you are a young person who is vulnerable to depression, and you can measure this genetically now, and these studies have been done in the US with kids who are starting college, starting university, and in the US, they usually, these kids, they move town. So they're away from their parents. They're away from their friends and peer group. They're meeting a whole lot of new people in a new city. So that is a stress. If you measure their vulnerability to depression and what you find is when they enter college, the ones that have good sleep are fine. They do not become depressed. The ones who are sleep deprived become depressed. So sleep in vulnerable kids is important in protecting from depression or the other way around. A sleep-deprived teenager who is vulnerable to depression will get depression when a stress comes along. And so the aim of sleep in this context is to protect mental health and create resilience in the time of stress. We can't change the stresses. So you can't avoid the stresses. You can't avoid your genetics, your vulnerability to depression or anxiety. So the only one thing in these three things you can change or improve is sleep. And it's ironic, isn't it, that in actual fact, because it's so incredibly important in the teen years, they actually need more sleep than they do before or after adolescence. So can you explain why else does it matter so much in this window? Well, you're right. There's what we call a disconnect between the social norms in teenagers and what science tells us. So the social norm is as kids go through high school, they sleep less. They get more homework, they get more study in their later high school years, and teachers and parents and others assume that as they go through adolescence, their sleep requirement on average reduces. What science shows that whatever amount of sleep you need at age 13, you need that right through your high school years. It stays static, and on average, it's about nine hours. So an 18-year-old who's an adult in many other ways still needs an hour or more more sleep than a 21 or 22-year-old. Schools are not entirely aware of this and parents are often not entirely aware. And it's hard to sell nine hours of sleep to a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old. It's a difficult sell because the social norm is so different. And the kids will say, oh, but I have too much homework. I can't get to bed on time. I've got a lot of other stuff to do. I've got extracurricular activities and so on. So fitting nine hours of sleep into a high school student in a busy schedule is hard. Kids will tend not to do it themselves. One of the things I've learned is that teenagers can do lots of things and they're really clever at lots of things, but in general, they're not particularly good, particularly boys. They're not good at managing their sleep. 
And so parents have to walk this tightrope of trying to help their teenagers have good sleep patterns, but not being a helicopter parent, you know, walking that tightrope of being supportive, but not being interfering. And I, I'm a really anti-homework queen for um, primary as much as possible because we know tired kids, you know, a tired brain can't learn after school. But what we know, so those who are doing the academic pathways, their expectations of the number of hours that they need to work is exactly contributing to the stress they feel when they want to fall asleep. So it really is like we we've almost created a system that's making it worse for them, that creates more unwellness for it, and yet we're not doing anything about it. So good to hear you say that, Maggie. I'm like you, I'm a I'm not an anti-homework queen, I'm an anti-homework king. I'm not really anti-homework, but I I'm constantly providing to educators research evidence from their area. This is educational research that shows that there is no relationship globally between the amount of homework you get and academic outcomes. There's a little bit of a relationship in year 12, no relationship in any other year. The trouble I find is, as you said, we, I call it futile learning. So these kids, as they get tired at night, a few things happen, their brain turns off, their learning becomes slower, their brain works slower because it's going to sleep. So their learning activities take longer and that delays their bedtime. Because their bedtime's delayed the next day, same again. So it's a perpetual thing on weekdays. And futile learning means that if you're trying to learn something with a teenager or an adult when you're really tired, you're unable to learn it. The reason is it goes into short-term memory, but to convert it to long-term memory subsequent to your learning experience, you need good deep sleep. So if you learn something one evening, but you don't get adequate sleep following that learning, the learning is not consolidated in long-term memory. So it's futile. One of the other things I found in my research, and I'll get you to explain it for me, is chronic lack of sleep over a period of time triggers you know, our immune system to then have to focus more on survival than it does on renewing cells. So we can actually get more physical illnesses, um, more acne, um, and take longer to recover from normal um, illnesses. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, you're right, Maggie. So sleep deprivation does two things to your immune system, which fights infections. It suppresses it. So it means your fighting ability is less strong. But also sleep is one of the key ways that we recover from illnesses. So the reason we, you know, the doctor says go to bed when you've got a virus is sleep and rest are restorative. But you've got to have good sleep. You've got to have deep sleep. So a lot of the teenagers we see who are sleep deprived, they not only get lots of infective and other illnesses, they're prolonged illnesses. They almost develop this sort of chronic fatigue state or they're just recovering from one illness and they get another. So suppression of immunity is a huge factor in teenagers who are sleep deprived, but there's suppression of a lot of other metabolic things. I read the other day that sleep deprivation in teenagers increases their risk of high blood sugar and diabetes. So this is a thing we associate with, you know, obese middle-aged men and women. Uh, so the more research goes on in teenagers, the more is found of the effect, the flow-on effect uh, on various body systems, cortisol, various hormones, sugar, the immune function as you measure, even cardiac heart function begins to be affected in adolescents who are, who are sleep deprived. 
Chris, we know they're moody. They're not always communicative. They're often really grumpy after school. So can you give us some of the signs and symptoms that parents can look for in their teens, which may mean that they're not just a bit like a teen, but they're actually struggling with a serious lack of sleep and maybe sleep deprived. That's a great point, Maggie. So yes, how does a parent separate out their moody, grumpy teenager from a moody, grumpy, sleep deprived teenager? (laughs) Because moodiness and grump, you know, as as you imply, it's common. So there are two, we call them red flag questions. Or So we encourage parents to observe two things. And the answer to these two things determines whether their son or daughter is chronically sleep deprived. And the first thing is, is your son and daughter fiendishly difficult to wake up and get out of bed on school day morning? So what parents who experience this describe is they say, it's not only hard to get my son or daughter out of bed, It involves shouting, cursing, swearing. The teenager will say, I want five more minutes, and half an hour later, they're still in deep sleep. So it's not only that, but when they get up, we call it sleep inertia. They're really, really slow to get going. They're slow moving. Everything takes a long time because they're still half asleep. They're sort of jet lagged. So sleep inertia, hard to get up in the morning, is the first question. The second one is, does your son or daughter on weekends or school holidays have big sleep-ins? So sleep-ins on weekends are a big marker of weeknight sleep deprivation. We call it a sleep debt. That is, if you don't sleep enough during the week, you have the opportunity to catch up on weekends. And the bigger your sleep debt, the bigger your lack of sleep during the week as a teenager, the bigger your sleep-ins will be. So if the answer to those two questions is no, my son or daughter gets up fine in the mornings and they don't have big sleep ends, then you've got a moody, grumpy teenager who is not sleep deprived. Now, that one about the the Saturday, the weekend sleep ends, you know, I would have thought as common sense is let them catch up, but it's actually a sign there's actually a, a significant possible problem. It's a mixed blessing, isn't it? Yeah. So it is a, it's a red flag. <laughs> you have one morning without um, them being there grumpy. <laughs> but I, you know... I always joke, a teenager said to me recently, he said, but sleep-ins are good. I feel really good when I get up. And I said, yeah, but you're getting up at 2 p.m. You're missing out on Saturday and Sunday activities and you're getting adequate sleep on the weekend when you don't really need it. You need adequate sleep on school nights. So the irony of this is the kids get, you know, they get big sleep and good sleep ready for Saturday and Sunday when they're not doing academic learning activities. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Now, most of us know by now that there's screen-based technology that can wake up our brains. And if you want to hear more on this, you can check out our recent episode on teens and smartphones. But, Chris, why is it so important that our teens don't ever use technology in bed, even during the day? Well, Maggie, Digital technology screens, particularly phones, so it's the small screens, as you know, give out more blue light than the big screens. So with a small screen, you need more blue light to give clarity because the print is smaller. And we talk about blue light a lot, but blue light is one of five negative effects that digital technology has on sleep. And I'll take you through the five of them. So the simple one is called the opportunity effect. So anything you do awake late at night takes away the opportunity to sleep. 
So that's not specific just to digital activity, it's any awake activity. So that's the first negative effect that delays sleep through the opportunity effect. Second, what we've seen since the mid, it was 2005, 2006, as you know, these devices became more portable and multimodal. So we went from using big computers at a desk to carrying around on our smartphones this stuff. And this allows teenagers to use the devices on the bed rather than at a desk or table. And so with repetitive in-bed screen exposure, the brain may get mixed messages about what to, when to sleep and where to sleep. And a lot of this stuff is excitatory. So the brain begins to forget that the bed is a place for sleep. The brain thinks it's a place for you know, digital activity. Then the third effect, which particularly applies to gaming and texting, is the excitation to the brain of this stuff because it causes the release of brain chemicals, as you know, like dopamine. Yep. Having the fun. happy hormone. Yeah, having fun, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. All these chemicals are wakeful. So the brain gets flooded with chemicals that wake you up. That's the third effect. And then the fourth effect is the blue light effect. So light is a signal to our brain to wake up. Darkness is a signal to go to sleep. Blue light is the most powerful light to wake us up. And coincidentally, it's the best light to give clarity on a screen. So blue light gives the brain a signal to wake up and the brain can get mixed messages. And then the fifth one, which I find really interesting, and we learned this because we did a study where teenagers were allowed to have their phone in the bedroom, but they didn't use it. And what we found is even when the phone wasn't used, there was this negative effect on sleep. Wow. Which is amazing. So we call this infomania. So the Americans term this. So infomania, the infomania effect. So infomania is if you send a text message to one of your friends and or 10 of your friends or 15 of your friends, the excited expectation of the return message is termed infomania. So that excitement will keep you awake. Wow, that's that's nuts. And I think one of the other thing I found was because they are inside a lot more, because they're, you know, inside with their screens, there's not as much time out in nature where our melatonin levels can actually be set and we can get vitamin D. And so sometimes those things can also be impacting the inability for them to, you know, finally go big yawn, I'm off to bed. This is the effect of bright light. So the more bright light and sunshine you have during the day, the lower your melatonin goes during the day. And the lower it goes during the day, the higher it comes up at night. And coming up at night helps you get to sleep. So we actually use sunlight therapy in a lot of the teenagers we treat. We get them to go out in the sun in the morning to reset their melatonin levels before they go to school. Wow, I love it. You just got to get them out of bed to get them out in the sun. That's the problem. That's a a bit I don't know how to do, Maggie. (laughs) Okay, so as a generalisation, does gender make a difference in how our teens react differently to a lack of sleep that's significant? What we see is that boys as a group, when this happens, are more into risky things and girls are more into emotional things. So an interesting thing, for instance, is if you look at cyberbullying in high school kids, in certainly North America, and we think here, cyberbullying in the evenings ramps up. It increases as the night goes on. 
And that's because as you get more sleep deprived, you're more likely to do something online that's, that's negative. And girls do a lot more cyberbullying than boys. So there are those differences. Then there's differences about what the screen behaviours are. And, and it may, you know, it won't surprise you and your listeners to know that gaming is more common in boys. You, you know, watching YouTube, watching Netflix is more common in girls. So the, the type of digital activity has a difference between boys and girls. And then the addictiveness of it is a little bit different as well. If you're, if you, if you're quite addicted to gaming, that's a high level addiction. It's hard, very hard to reverse it. If you're addicted to Netflix, that's a little bit easier for us to treat. So those girls that have that sort of scrolling YouTube, scrolling Netflix, they're easier to fix than the, the gamers, the boys. Now, Chris... One of my daughters um, taught, told me the yeah. other day, she called me a dinosaur. Yeah, and yeah, we, we are. We are. And she, she noticed I was preparing a talk. She looked over my shoulder. She was a bit... So she's 13. She said, oh, are you giving a talk? Where are you giving? I said, I was to a school. And she said, are you going to talk about all the screen stuff? And I said, yeah, 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 but I'll talk about other stuff. And she said, Dad, don't you know the kids at the school will not take any notice of you? They will call you a dinosaur. And I said, Laura... They will, but my talk is not to the kids. My talk is to the parents of the kids and the teachers. And she said, Dad, that's a really clever thing to do. Yeah, and, exactly. And she's right. Because they yeah. haven't got the capacity because that prefrontal hasn't finished yet where I can, consequences to my actions, choices that are really going, learning from mistakes, all of that's yet to happen. And that's one of the, that's one of the biggest challenges of raising them, even though I still really... Love a house full of teens. Okay, now, Chris, giving rewards. You know, sometimes parents feel that, you know, it's a bit like the sticker chart when I get you to clean your teeth. Is it anything that can work with improving teenagers' sleep habits? Because I tend to find they just know we're trying to manipulate them. So what is, what is your thought there? What my sleep psychologists say, they say, Chris, you have to find the teenager's currency. So the currency is what will it take? And we ask them that, what will it take? to get you to do, here are some things you can do. Here's a list of nine things. You know, one of them is just stay away from the bed when you're not, when it's not bedtime. One of it's having a regular bedtime, pre-bedtime routine, digital. So there might be nine bits of treatment that I offer and I ask them to pick one and some of them will not even pick one. So recently I felt great. And this is the first time I've ever done this, probably midway through last year the motivation I gave to a boy was half a car. So the deal was he was going to finish year 10, which he did last year, and not go into year 11 and 12 and do a trade. But he was gaming. He was constantly late for school. He wasn't participating. And his parents were worried. You know, they said, if you don't get through year 10, you, your opportunity is very limited. He said, well, you know, I don't care. And so the thing in discussion, the thing he really wanted at the end of last year was uh, when he was able to start his old plates was a car. And so what I negotiated, I was very proud of myself. I said, all I want you to do is have 100% school attendance and you have to get up yourself and get to school. And if you do 100% school attendance for the second half of the year, your parents will pay for half a car he was saving up 
He said, what do you mean? They won't pay for any. And I said, well, they will because they are so incentivized to see you get through year 10. And he, he said, where do I sign? Yeah, so, Chris, one of the things for boys is what's in it for me. So well, yes. <laughs> well done on that strategy. But it's hard. Chris, you've been a legend. Thank you. Oh, no, um, thank you. Loved it, loved it, loved it. That was Dr. Chris Seaton, and you'll find Chris coaxing teenagers to sleep at the Sleep Shack program at the Wilcock Institute in Sydney. So, when it comes to getting your teen more sleep, my big takeaways are these. First, we parents need to take charge a bit and help our teens manage their sleep and screen usage, even when they play the but I'm not a kid anymore card. Secondly, This might take some convincing, but we need to teach our teens that bed is only for sleeping. And finally, we need to be on the lookout for those burner phones. You know, that's the old second phone that your teen can use as a backup. And if you or someone you know has little kids in the house, Dr Chris also has the key to getting them to go to sleep in their own bed and stay there. We spoke to him on our recent episode, Winning the Sleep Wars. These little kids can't tell us that they have trouble. They then develop what's called sleep onset dependencies. They become dependent on things to get to sleep. And sleep onset dependencies in little kids can be good dependencies or bad ones. Good ones is like a teddy bear. Human teddy bears are not good sleep onset dependencies because if you're a three-year-old and you learn or you need your mum or dad to be with you when you go to sleep at bedtime, guess what you're going to need when you wake up during the night? Same thing. It's all on for Rental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent. You can find it right here on the ABC Listen app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Beverly Wang. And I'm Benjamin Law. We're the hosts of the ABC podcast, Stop Everything, a show about how everything in your feed reflects and affects the world with big name interviews that go deep and ask, Why did celebrity chef Alison Roman agree to that interview with Z-Way? It's really the only thing that I regret in my whole life, probably. (laughs) Also, how rotted is Twitter nowadays? Pretty rotted. Mm. Why did jury duties Ronald Gladden take the fall for James Marsden's giant poo. This guy just genuinely was like embarrassed and he said, hey man, like, can you do me a solid? And why is everyone in love with Pedro Pascal? Yeah, I think that one is pretty obvious. We don't need to explain that. Yeah, true. Self-evident. But we're happy to talk about it nonetheless. These are all real stories. Stop everything. We explain. We analyze. And we often laugh at what the hell is happening in our crazy, crazy world. You can find Stop Everything on the ABC Listen app.